Howard Ratner has a problem. He owes money to creditors all over New York City. He's a gambling addict, constantly in search of the perfect win, no matter who he has to screw over to get it. Howard is his own worst enemy. And when all his debts are seemingly called in at once, he has to do some serious finagling and fucking over to get out of it. In the 2019 Safdie Brothers crime thriller, Uncut Gems. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Josh Allred. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Filmgasm podcast. If you've been following the past few episodes, you know about our new film picking cycle with all four members of the team having one pick per cycle of five, with the fifth film being left to the elusive book of Filmgasm. Today, we're discussing Austin's pick, the former co-host of the Filmgasm podcast and current host of Oscar Sunday. He's taking us out of horror, putting us right in the middle of an A24 crime drama with Uncut Gems, previously bonus episode 30 back in 2019. Uh, the bonus episodes have been removed from the feed and placed back in the book of Filmgasm to serve as full episodes in the future. But if you want to listen to them anyway, they are all still up on YouTube. Uh, so, Josh, this was your first time with Uncut Gems. Uh, what'd you think? Stressful. <laughs> yeah, like, I was trying to I was trying to take notes while I was watching it. And literally the first thing I wrote was this fucking guy is stress inducing talking about Adam Sandler's character. And then shortly thereafter, the other note I wrote, this movie is stress inducing. And it just, it, it never, it never stopped. Like I, I don't remember a movie like messing with my blood pressure more than this thing did. Yeah, man, this thing, he, he is his, you know, he's his own worst enemy. I've never seen a film. I think that more like depicts that concept. Than this, I mean, he has so many opportunities to fix this. So many moments where he has the money, where he can pay this up, but he never does. He always picks the worst possible option for himself and everyone around him, and he doesn't fucking care because it's all about the win. It's all about the big win, the perfect win. It's what he lives for, and it's what he dies for. Spoiler alert: <laughs> it gets him killed, but you know he kind of deserves it. I mean, yeah. It's it's hard for me to like watch and like be sympathetic for somebody in his position because he's constantly like just shitting on everybody and cares about no one except himself. And even when he does place some level of trust in somebody, that person turns out to be shitty. Shocker. And he he just he goes off he goes off the rails and goes crazy and it just, I knew this movie wasn't going to have a good ending. Yeah. And, and, and I will admit I got sucked up. I was like, he's going to do this, isn't he? This is going to happen. This, this is, this is going to happen for him. And I was like, hey, there's no way this asshole can get, oh, yeah, no, there is no way he's going to get out of it because he's constantly like, he constantly thinks he can get out of this and he can always, he can always make good and always do that. And his, fucking ticket got punched literally yeah it's interesting um there's something about this film that feels so visceral and real it's like the, the constantly overlapping dialogue the inclusion of like real celebrities in the movie which i thought was odd you know kevin garnett and um 
John Amos of all people, The Weeknd, just being in the movie, it made this feel like a real story, like somebody actually went through this shit. And I just, I, I remember when the trailer came out for this, Austin was super excited for this. And I was like, all right, you know, I didn't really have a lot of faith in Adam Sandler. I liked some of his 90s comedies, but overall I thought his track record fucking sucked. And I don't think I'm alone in that. But this looked like something vastly different than anything he'd ever done. And uh, he went and saw it and he was like, holy shit, you need to see this movie. So I went and saw it by myself to a loaded theater. And um, it was uh, it was funny because I think a lot of people there were there expecting an Adam Sandler comedy. Like they were there thinking they were seeing Grown Ups 3. And uh, <laughs> this was not anywhere near that. Everybody around me left before the movie was over. It was funny. I've never had that happen to me before. I was in the Seriously? middle. Yeah, I was in the middle of two parties. Like there was a, a couple here who were about my age and then an older couple in their like 60s on my right. And I'm just sitting there and uh, I don't know what prompted the younger couple to leave, but they left and never came back. <laughs> and then as soon as Julia Fox started playing with herself, the older couple has this like, Oh, oh, kind of grumbling negatively noise. And they just got up and I heard somebody go reprehensible and and they left and I just spread out. I was like, I got the whole, you know, I just got four seats to myself. So I just thought that was funny. Like, did you not watch the preview? Did you not read up anything about this? You just went and saw this because you thought this was, you know, Adam Sandler doing goofy shit. It's on you. (laughs) See, and this is, this is the only the only thing I would say is like they should have watched the trailer. They really should have watched it. Even though, it, I mean, I, I never watched the trailer for it. I, it. It was one of those movies that when it hit, it really became like the topic of conversation all over the place. And it was kind of unavoidable in hearing whatever bits and pieces about it. Um, I have a feeling that older couple, the wife was definitely the one that was the driving force for leaving the seats because i'm sure i'm sure old old dude was just like oh yeah this, this is a great movie and gets grabbed by the arms we're leaving like well i mean you know it'll be over in a minute just puts but, his popcorn bucket down to hide something just walk oh, out oh yeah yeah oh yeah oh yeah he's he's done that trick before that's how he got married come on <laughs> yeah i remember when this like swept like kind of swept the the movie scene people were talking about like holy shit have you seen uncut gems like adam sandler is amazing in it everyone was like what you know he was getting oscar buzz and that he did not get oscar buzz and he didn't he he got shut out the whole movie did this didn't get anything and that was a bit of a shock i mean you know screenplay actor something but this is a this is a solid piece of filmmaking and a tense thriller that keeps going in the opposite direction that you expect it to go in, which is really cool. There's so many moments where you think, like, oh, this is going to happen. And then something else completely different takes its place. And you're like, oh, shit, now we're in this movie. Uh, I was I, I love that. I love when a movie can kind of keep me guessing. Yeah, well, I think after the first time he had, like, got a bunch of money, I was like, okay, you're going to square up. Everything's going to be fine. And we're going to move on. from No, like the moment I knew that this movie was, was headed for a, 
like was going down a going down a fucking fucking downward spiral was when he took Kevin Garnett's fucking ring and went and fucking put it up just to get a loan. And I was like, that's it. This fucking guy, he's not going to get this ring back. Like he's totally fucked. And not to mention, you don't just give somebody a fucking priceless piece of fucking uncut jewelry and just be like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Fuck Kevin Garnett. You know, you're just going to come in. Yeah. Just bring it back. Like, fuck stupid like you know the kind of clientele you're fucking working with here bro like seriously and at first because i because i see you laughing at first it was kind of hard for me to accept that that's how adam sandler was going to play it and because it brought me it brought me back to some of the characters that he would do in some of his comedy albums and i was like okay i gotta stop laughing like because at one point i thought this is fucking toll booth willie like this is who the fuck this guy is like okay all right, fine, fine. Fucking told like, <laughs> so getting over that, getting over that hurdle was, was rough at first. And then finally I just got sucked in because you're just like, you're on a fucking train wreck the entire time. And you have no control. Like you are literally strapped in with this maniac while he is doing everything he can to fucking drive this thing into a wall. And all you're doing is yelling at him, like, just pump the brakes, fucker, just fucking pump the brakes. And he won't do it. <laughs> well, there's a reason that Sandler plays Howard the way he plays him. He kind of, you know, opens up every Jewish stereotype in the book and just throws it at this guy. Uh, the Safty brothers are, are Jewish. They grew up in the jewelry district district of Manhattan. And they based this guy off their grandfather and they wanted him. They wanted Sandler to use these Jewish stereotypes as like a defense mechanism and a way to kind of reinforce who this character represents and like what he what he fights for, what he lives for. So in that respect, well done. If you're like it's an intentional stereotype to mock the stereotypes. I mean, it, it's kind of summed up perfectly when he tells Garnett how he came across getting that opal and he's talking about all these Jewish Ethiopian guys and he's like oh so you're screwing them over just to make more money for you he's like but the money I'm giving them is will take them a hundred lifetimes to make or whatever he said you know like yeah. they they're they're still making money what what's your problem you know but he knows that as soon as he says that it's going to make him look like an asshole but he already has a defense built up to fucking talk him out of thinking he's an asshole. Like if that, God, and I don't want to sound like a racist asshole, but like, if that's not a Jewish way of fucking thinking every, everything we've been shown in movies and from comedians, like that's, I'm only going off of the evidence I've been presented. And if it's a caricature or what have you, so be it. Then again, I know that a lot of comedy comes from pain and truth. And so it's funny because it's true. So, you know, and with what you're saying about the Safety brothers basing this guy off of somebody they knew, then, I mean, stereotypes exist for a reason, unfortunately, because people act, not, not, not all the time, but people act that way. So I get it. I do want to backtrack a little bit. Um, it's not based on their grandfather. It's based on somebody their father knew. So we'll get into that in, when I get to the film, guys, and facts. But it is, you know, this, this comes from somewhere. This comes from somewhere real. And you can tell. This is, uh, this shit goes on. 
Um, I think my favorite moment that defines Howard as a person is when um, his brother-in-law and his goons um, confront him at the fountain and he's like pretending to talk to somebody and they snatch the phone out of his hands. Like there's no one here, Howard, like stop lying to me. Like everything he does is a fucking, you know, two faced lie. And it's, it's kind of amazing. Like that you can, I didn't know, you know, you don't see people able to lie that fast and that, that quickly that like consciously it's crazy. Everything he does, you you, you think like, is this even really happening? Like, what is he really into? Because I think like what we see, I think is just the tip of the iceberg in the shit storm he's found himself in. Oh no, absolutely. Like this is definitely when it's gone past the point of no return. Yeah. And I think for him, lying comes as easy as breathing. I mean, it's, it's pretty evident that he's been carrying a lot of this on for a long time to the point where it's just become his life. And you find that with movies where um, a main character is like a habitual liar and they, they finally find out that they just, they, they, they either can't lie anymore and they've got to try and turn around. Howard's not like that. He just has to keep, he's got to keep it up because he can't face the truth to himself that he can't do this, that, the, that he's, he's fucked himself and not, and not in a good way. He couldn't even, he couldn't even enjoy being right that was taken away from him because he had shit on this one guy so much so much that i mean like you never piss off a person with a gun what's the matter with you like how fucking stupid are you um i did like that the only way to get him to stop lying was to literally punch him in the throat (laughs) he can't breathe he can't fucking lie (laughs) yeah yeah this is, I, I can't imagine knowing this guy. I can't imagine having this guy owe money to me. You're never going to get that back. You're, you might be told you're getting that back a hundred times, but you're never going to see a dollar. And it's, I love when his wife, like when he's trying to um, reconnect with his wife and he tells like, everybody's here, you know, it's Passover and everybody's here and we're happy. Now let's talk about this. And she just straight up says, you're the most annoying human being I've ever known. And it was up to me. I would never speak to you again. Like, fuck, man. And he doesn't even hear it. He's just like, you're had, you're had, you're drunk. You know, you're upset. I get it. Like, he doesn't even hear that. Uh, he's such a frustrating human being. Oh. And that should be like one of those sobering moments. Again, it's like there's all of these points where you think, okay, he's going to get it this time. He's got to get it this time. But everything he does is in service to himself. It's all to save his own ass. He gives no fucks about anybody but himself. And that's so frustrating because, like, watching him and he just he disregards his kids. And, like, and he even sees that his own one of his own sons is going to be just like him. Yeah. And he doesn't he doesn't even care. Like when he, when he asks him how much money he bet on the game, he's like, yeah, you don't want to a lot of money you know and it's just like fuck man like you can't even ah just fucking get your shit right just dump that crazy broad because you never shit where you work duh that's rule number one for anything and you own the business what's the what's your problem like like he does everything the wrong way he does everything you're not supposed to do 
when you, when you own a business, when you have a family, when you owe money to your family, and then you try to make business deals with people who are way more fucking capable of hurting you than you think they are. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who is actively gambling with his client's jewelry. He's pawning his client's jewelry and then making crazy, impossible to pin down bets that no one would ever fucking win because the bigger, the better. It's all about the thrill and the possibility that he might one day win big. I love when he does win big, but his brother-in-law like took away the bet. Like, wow. Oh, yeah. That was, oh, God. Like, I was actually mad with him. That was the thing. I was like, he didn't even realize that he was fucking himself. And then, oh, God, I was, I, I was mad for him. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Of co- But then I'm also like, of course this would fucking happen to this fucking guy. Like, that's exactly how this is going to go down. Yeah. Congratulations, Arno. You just fucked us both out of $600,000 as his goons are, like, getting ready to fucking strip him and throw him in a trunk. It- this this movie is made up of just ridiculous moments that could this could be a comedy but i love that it's played so straight it's it makes it a tense thriller and that's so neat to see a movie that could be in both camps depending on who's behind the camera is so cool you don't see that very often well i think it i think it makes you uncomfortable to laugh at this stuff because like you said it can be it can be played for laughs like this could have totally been a funny ass movie and like you know him and kevin garnett could have been friends at the end of it and blah 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 he's teaching his boys how to shoot a basketball or whatever dumb shit happens in that movie but this movie really makes you question like are you just gonna sit and laugh at this guy or or are you actually gonna be invested in what's going on with him because everybody, and I would, I would be hard-pressed to, to find somebody that actually was like, oh, no, I thought this movie was funny as hell. I'm like, nah, I don't know about that. Like, you're telling me you're watching this guy make shitty decision after shitty decision, and you're not yelling at the TV to fucking get your shit right, bro? Like, that, I mean, I, I remember going, oh, oh, God, no. And I'm, like, just throwing my hands up going, no, you fucking idiot. Stop. Just stop. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And he gets mad when people fuck him over. And I'm just like, you don't even recognize that that's like, that's, that's the universe telling you to fucking chill out, man. Oh, dude, the worst one is when he finally sells the opal to Kevin Garnett. He has the money in his hand. They are at the fucking door to collect. And he's just like, talk, he's hyping up. Kevin Garnett and how badass he is. And he's like, let's bet on this. You know what? Let's do this. And just, I wanted to, I, I wanted to hurl my remote at the TV. I'm just like, every time I'm just fuck. God damn it. Howard. He had the, he had the, the out right there. It was going to be over, but his greedy, selfish ass just, Oh God. Oh, this movie is so captivating. I mean, he still owed money to Judd Hirsch is uh was his father-in-law so like he still he still wasn't out of the clear even with that money he still wasn't out of the clear. and he knew that he knew that he was like well guess i'm just gonna you know just i just 
gotta go for it all now. And it's like, come on, dude. Like, I would rather owe it to a father-in-law that's just gonna look at me and tell me he's disappointed instead of somebody who has actively been sending goons to threaten me and lock me in my trunk of my car, butt naked, and has more than once threatened to kill me. Lesser of two evils at that point, if you ask me. I, oh God, it's just, this movie is just so, oh, I'm, I'm still feeling, I'm so, like, I had to, I had to watch another movie after that just to like get it out of my system. Something that I knew was going to be a lot more fun and enjoy, like, cause that movie fucking had me so, so tensed up. Yeah, I understand, man. It's, uh, I do love though that, you know, he's got the disappointed father and like he owes money to family in that front, but then the guy who's sending goons after him is his fucking brother-in-law. Like, he's pissed off his family so much that they're sending goons after him. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not even counting that, like, that one dude who he, like, gave him the watch who keeps popping up. The one Doc Brown-looking motherfucker. (laughs) He owes money to that guy. (laughs) It's just... the, The list is endless. I mean, I'm sure he's into that bookie for quite a lot, probably. Oh, yeah. But think about it, like he he I, I mean I'm I'm wondering like what happened to that money that he gave him or was gonna give him for that bet, like where that money magically went, you know, like because he was supposed to give him money for that that bet that he was gonna fucking make out on and it got pulled where the money, you know, like what was with the money and all that shit. So just but even then I guess he probably didn't have it to begin with. You're just betting with whatever and it's just just this fucking endless shitstorm of fucking terrible decisions. If there was money, I bet Arno probably took it as like an advance. That's, that's what I would think. Or the book he just said, fuck it and put it in his pocket because he thinks Howard's a piece of shit. Probably. <laughs> that's what I would do. I mean, and I, I, I bet, you know, Howard's kind of just like, you know, if you're in so deep to the point where there's nothing you can actively do about it, fucking who cares what bets you're making you know i bet that's his that's his mindset of like there's no way i'm paying this off so i'm gonna do it my way you know that's what he said you know this is how i win it's that the way he says that that's what i'm like yeah this is how he this is it this is what he's got (laughs) the thrill of the game is all he's got left god (laughs) it's a fucking miserable existence very much so (laughs) um so Uncut Gems was directed and co-written by Benny and Josh Safty, who had previously made the films Good Time, Daddy Long Legs, Heaven Knows What, and the documentary Lenny Cook. Uh, Benny Safty is also an actor who has appeared in Good Time, Pieces of a Woman, and he's set to appear in the upcoming Star Wars series Obi-Wan Kenobi, as well as an upcoming adaptation of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Um, have you seen any other Safty Brothers movies? Uh, not off the top of my head. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with their name and when I saw it was them that wrote it, I was like, okay, all right. I've, I've, I've heard enough good stuff. So I think, I think we're going to have something here. And I was really, I was really impressed with the way that things were played very, um, very real, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, very straight and very honest with how this world is. And it's it's kind of set right from the right from the gate, 
with how things are going to work. And, and even though some of it does seem kind of outlandish, I mean, given the environment that a lot of these guys are working in with, you know, throwing around thousands of dollars, like it's nothing. I mean, of course they're going to be talking fast and throwing out percentages and, and just going back and forth with numbers because for them, that's all it is. It's all numbers. It's like, it's not even, it's not even like they're talking about real money because very, very rarely did you see them like handing over money unless it was like a giant bag of it or some shit. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a world I'm, I'll never be familiar with because I would never be stupid enough to gamble with someone else's money. It's a, uh, but it is a whole, you know, complicated world of ones and zeros that get a lot of people killed. <laughs> um, I wanted to watch Good Time before we did this episode, but I, I didn't have enough time. Um, that's a, I think it's a bank robbery movie the Safety Brothers did with Robert Pattinson that uh, I've heard nothing but great things about. And uh, I'll have to get to that one day. Um, Adam Sandler. Stars is Howard Ratner, proven to fans and critics everywhere that when he really cares about a project, he brings the heat. Sandler was part of the cast of Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live from 1991 to 1995 when he was fired by NBC executives as part of a restructuring program. Him and a few other cast members were fired because they were like, we're gonna, we want to go in a different direction. They brought on Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry and Chris Kattan, and that generation of SNL began. Uh, Sandler, meanwhile, moved on to become one of the most successful comedic actors in Hollywood. He uh, starred in such hits as Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, Big Daddy, The Wedding Singer, The Water Boy, Anger Management, and Click, just to name a few. But he's also an accomplished dramatic actor, appearing in such films as Punch Drunk Love, Brain Over Me, and The Meyerowitz Stories. He won an Independent Spirit Award for his performance in Uncut Gems, but was shut out of the SAG Awards and the Oscars. And his Independent Spirit Award speech is something to watch because he is, I don't think he expected to win that. And he is very kind of like, holy shit, what am I doing here? Kind of, it's, it's cool. Yeah, he's always had a lot of um, humility about things like that. And even though he's had a very successful career on a lot of fronts, he's always come off as being very... Um, very humble about it. Yeah, he has. I think that's what makes him so likable. You know, I mean, even his shittiest movie, I'll watch it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. Uh, I, you know, Happy Gilmore is one of my all-time favorite comedies. That movie is gold. That movie's funny as shit. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm glad I watched. Uh, Austin convinced me to finally watch Punch Drunk Love a while back, and he was fantastic in that. He's just, he's such a great actor who doesn't seem to, you know, he does what he feels like doing, which is good. I like that. He, but he often just wants to like do a movie where he can take a vacation with his friends and hang out in Aruba or something, filming some comedy, which, you know, whatever, you know, more all the power to him, do whatever you want. But after seeing Uncut Gems, I want to see him do more shit like this because he is really good when he's given a good project that he really gives a shit about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, even even with characters in like Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, and the Wedding Singer, he's able to show a lot of vulnerability with the really 
kind of character um characters that he's that he's playing um you really get to to kind of like these guys even though happy gilmore is you know a a fucking idiot who you 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 know that guy you know that guy who always thought he was going to be the next fucking bit biggest fucking sports star and you're just like dude you can't even play the sport you love right like what makes you think you're going to be good at anything like <laughs> get a real job asshole and <clears throat> i think one of my one of my favorite outside of those like outside of um happy gilmore and billy madison i really love the wedding singer because i think he was able to show that other side of him as a musician and really bring all of that together Plus, it's an entire, like, mock of the 80s, which is great. And I, re- I fucking enjoy that movie so much. Um, but Billy Madison probably has one of my favorite sequences in, in a movie where he's doing that uh, competition and he's giving this fucking speech and he's just so, so dead wrong, so dead wrong. And the guy that's judging him goes on that spiel where he tells him that, you know, it's like in no in no way did you make any sense and that everyone is now dumber for having listened to you. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. It's just like, yep. That that pretty much sums up the way things have been going, you know, in 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 our time. And that movie was what, like so like twenty five plus years old now? It's like, holy shit. Talk about calling your shots. Who knew we were going to be fucking? That was that quote was going to be no more relevant than anything else. I haven't seen Billy Madison in a long time. Oh shit! That's I love that that bit. So I love the all the bits with uh, Chris Farley's bus driver. <laughs> He's just like on the verge of losing his fucking mind at all times. Oh yeah, and and if you see sometimes like you see like some of the takes in there, like Adam Sandler is close to breaking. And it's and it's all Farley, man. Like those two were quite a pair. And I don't know if you um if you've been able to to see it, but there was a performance that Sandler gave where he like wrote a song about Farley, and it's literally like it's one of the it's one of the saddest, but also one of the most beautiful things I've seen. And again, Adam Sandler knows how to put heart into something and make you look at that lovable goof and go oh <laughs> you really did love him you guys were friends and yeah like I, I i will admit the first time i saw it i did get a little did get a little misty eyed i was like god damn it chris farley like yeah that's it's always a shame when when you can you you look back on something like that and it really just you you, you realize that there's a huge hole where that person should still be. It's very tough. Yeah. Chris Farley was a comedic genius. He was one of the funniest motherfuckers who ever lived. And every every bit he did had such intensity and I, you know, in one way or another. And I think he just, you know, he lived to make people laugh and that was the, the best. <laughs> yeah. I remember we did uh, Austin and I did Tommy boy on the film podcast a while back about a year ago we just we saw it um at theaters right before covid hit and we were like fuck it let's do an episode of tommy boy why not we just both watched it so 
that was fun just talking about Farley for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorite bits in The Wedding Singer is right after his girlfriend just broke up with him. He's he's doing a wedding gig and he just starts singing Love Stinks at a wedding. <laughs> he's like, well, I have the microphone and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say. Just screaming at the dad. And then they punch him. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I felt that on a, on a very personal level. At that time, I was also a very frustrated man who was wondering why I couldn't find happiness. That movie really just fucking came along at the right time. It's like, uh, and that song that he comes up with was fucking wonderful. Oh, my God. Somebody kill me, please. Oh, my God. <laughs> just like that balance of this nice little ballad, and then he just rips in the chorus just how much he fucking hates you so much. <laughs> like, like, but it's all bullshit. <laughs> What's a goddamn joke? Beautiful. Oh, my God. Yeah, he he was the he's the man. I <laughs> I loved one of my favorite ones. What I I didn't think I was gonna like it was uh, anger management that he did with Jack Nicholson. Because just them two together was so special. See, Jack seeing like seeing him do full blown comedy was great, and that was just a fun movie. Uh, <laughs> Adam Sandler's like girlfriend is like her best friend is a dude who has like a giant dick and is very open about it. And it's really upset Sandler. <laughs> Nicholson sees it. He calls it the Whopper with cheese. I <laughs> laughed my ass off every time. <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. Sandler's the best. Uh, yeah. I, I, I still have to see, like, I've never seen the water boy. I got to watch that one. Are you kidding? Oh my God. Yeah. I know that's the reaction all my friends give me when I tell them I haven't seen the water boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, so like that whole stretch of when Sandler was making movies and they were coming, like that literally was hitting right as I was like nine, 10 years old and was going to the movies a lot. And then it just, as I got older, he was still making movies. So it was like going out with your friends and going to see all this. So like, I saw all this stuff in the theaters and it was, it was a it was a life changing event. Like going to see Tommy Boy in the theater. My grandmother took me one time when Black Sheep came out. So like I saw all this, and my grandmother like this is my mom's mom, so she's Mexican, and she's sitting there laughing at him because you know she's seeing a she's seeing a fat dude, you know, acting like a jackass, and just like oh it's pinchy gordo, he's so funny. I'm just like grandma like. He's not funny because he's fat. No, but it is funny, you know? Like, you see him over there. He's got these little chonies on. His ass is hanging out. He's just like, God damn it, Grandma. Like, yes, 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 yes. That, yes, that is funny. Yes, yes, you're right. But, hey, I got to go see these movies. So, whatever. I'll I'll have to deal with the commentary. That's awesome. I, I was born in 95, so all this shit came out when I was like, you know, one to five years old. So I didn't see all this stuff until much later when it was all about, you know, what tapes my my mom had. And she had The Wedding Singer and Big Daddy. And then I got Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison on DVD for Christmas one year. And just 
funny as shit. I still watch this stuff all the time. Some of the funniest comedies of all time. And anybody who, you know, yeah, he did Jack and Jill and bedtime stories and fucking grownups, but he still is the guy who made Happy Gilmore and the Wedding Singer. So, you know, don't forget that stuff just because he's also made some shit. They've all made some shit. Well, of course. I mean, you know, actors make paycheck movies, of course. Yeah. We all know that. I mean, he's still he's still the guy that would get up on like the weekend update. They'd have him on there and he'd like have a Thanksgiving song or when he fucking first did Lunch Lady Land, like all that stuff. Like all of that is like it's a lot of that started out in SNL and then he come and starts doing his own thing and you're like oh shit like he's got a lot more to him like i like straight up on a stretch i i have had uh they're all gonna laugh at you there's another one in between and i think he had another record called stan and judy's kid which is mom and dad's name and like i like i like i told the story on the last episode i was on where i was on the bus and i literally did that like all the fucking time like i would listen to his his comedy bits, like um, Dennis, not Dennis Miller, um, Dennis Leary, um, you know, George Carlin, Bill Hicks, even though he was already dead by that time, I think. And, but like all of that stuff, like I, I listened to all that all the time and it was just a thing. And I'm not sure if that, I mean, it probably is, but like, that's kind of where I got this, this real weird connection between like making jokes and then like somehow incorporating a song into it or taking a song and then making your own lyrics up to it. Like I do it all the time and my kids hate it, especially my son because he'll start singing a song and then I'll start singing other words to it. And he's like, no dad, it's that, those are not the words. It's like this. And then he'll sing it verbatim. And I'm like, yeah, but it kind of sounds better when I do it like this. And then he's like, no dad, you're doing it wrong. So. Adam that's, Sandler's fault. That's, that's great. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Julia Fox plays Julia, Howard's girlfriend. This was her first film, and she would go on to appear in Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move earlier this year. Not a great movie, and she's playing pretty much exactly the same character. Uh, which is fine. Uh, she's good in this for her first role. Um, super hot. Not going to lie. And uh, kind of a, you know, her own two-faced, you know, bitch. It's kind of what she's, she's doing everything for herself, just like Howard is. And how, you know, I find it funny that he gets pissed about that when he's doing exactly the same shit. Yeah. Um, I really, uh, I got to say, I am uh, I'm very proud of you for uh, taking uh, Caleb's quotient for the episode by using the phrase "stroll hot," not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm not a fucking robot. She's hot as shit. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course. It it just just clicked. It just hit me a certain way. I was like, oh, that's Caleb's line. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Like she is, she is a total reprehensible person. And you see that right at the beginning. You're like, because at first I was like, what, where is he going? What is going on? And then you see this apartment. I'm like, wait a minute. This doesn't seem like what a family man would go home to. And I'm like, oh. Oh. Ooh. 
whatever, dude. Makes you happy, go for it. Um, it, it is very like I was expecting. This is this is how much this movie was setting me up for for just catastrophic events. I was totally expecting her to when he's hiding in the closet. I was totally expecting her to like either have a dude or have somebody coming in the door behind her and like him watching her get railed or something like that's what I was expecting to happen. I was expecting either that or for her to take a phone call and just start talking shit about Howard, like how much she hates him. Yep. Because she's the only human being on earth who loves him. <laughs> and I don't know why. I mean, she got his name tattooed on her ass. <laughs> and he's just like, I don't deserve it. <laughs> God. Oh, it's toxic as fuck relationship. Yeah. And and that's the kind of thing you should be afraid of. For any of for any of you younger listeners out there, maybe have your first girlfriend or something, a bit of advice. Never, ever tattoo somebody's name on your body. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. Except for your mother. It's the only acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, I said it. I have my mom's name tattooed on me. That's why I'm saying it. <laughs> I, I have nothing to say about that. <laughs> I don't think you should tattoo anybody's name on you personally, except like, I think for me, the one exception is like your kids. But, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, my mom told me the story of how Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder were very much in love. And so he got Winona Forever tattooed on him. And then they broke up. And now he's got a tat that says Wino Forever. Because <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> also, you know, I've been told since probably like since I was too young to be told this, this exact phrase, don't put your dick in crazy. And uh, Howard doesn't, apparently he never heard that. Yeah, but I will also counter with this question. How do you ever expect to get laid? I, I, I don't have a rebuttal for that. <laughs> You'd think I would. But Flawless I don't. logic. That's why. <laughs> Flawless logic. <laughs> I want to be the like, no, no, some, not all women are crazy. But then I sound like a fucking white knight asshole. So there's no real way for me to fight that one. <laughs> my, my, my counter to that is everybody's crazy in some way. So no matter what, it's just varying levels of crazy and what you're comfortable with. That's true. Looking back, yeah, that's true. And as long as you're honest about it up front, they can't say, well, you were hiding it from me. Like, no, I told you I was nuts from the get-go. You saw the shit I have on my walls. Really? <laughs> All the weird stories I've told you about people who fucking think I'm some weird satanist or whatever and that my room is scary because i have horror movie posters on it like whatever my god grown-ass people need to grow the fuck up my god <laughs> i had i knew i was um i had a crush on a girl in high school who uh would not sit next to me when i was reading stephen king's it because she was freaked out by the clown on the front cover like she told me like 
you, <laughs> you got to flip that or I'm not going over there. And I'm like, the clown is not going to leap out of the book and strangle you. I don't know what's going on here. But eventually I was like, all right, and just flip the book. You got to make those small sacrifices. She wasn't worth it, Connor. Yeah, she was. <laughs> I think about her every day. Oh, not, not for the podcast. I've almost gone there so many times. It's not happening today. <laughs> oh, not today, you say. Okay, I'm going to hold you to that. Oh, my God. It's, it's yeah, whatever. Oscar nominee Lakeith Stanfield plays Demoney, Howard's sort of scheming partner. Kind of unclear what his role in Howard's business really is. Kind of changes depending on what he needs at the time. Uh, Stanfield was nominated for his performance in Judas and the Black Messiah earlier this year. He's also appeared in Knives Out, Sorry to Bother You, Get Out, Selma, and the acclaimed TV series Atlanta. He is one of the hottest commodities in acting working today. He's big stuff, especially coming fresh off an Oscar nomination. His stock, which is already pretty good, it's about to skyrocket. So good for him. And uh, he's good in this. Yeah, I think he's got one of those rare abilities with actors to like be able to basically like change his appearance in in very easy ways with like hair or facial hair and you you don't really recognize it. Um I think I think when I saw Get Out I was like that looks kind of familiar and then I and I don't remember what it was that I that I saw that he was in I was like oh shit it's the same fucking guy and it's like he just has this really really unique way of being able to just inhabit characters and I think if I wouldn't have known it was him going into this I probably wouldn't have known until after the fact and I'm like oh shit he's that good yeah he's fantastic uh have you ever seen Sorry to Bother You I have not I've I've been meaning to and I because I feel like part of it kind of at least on that on the the outside of it it kind of reminded me at moments from like seeing the trailer of like somebody taking the concept of like it's like girl six I think it's that Spike Lee movie you know like working working with bones and whatever and just kind of like it's very it's a very vague connection I know um but somebody kind of taking an idea and just flipping it in a in a different direction. But yeah, no, I definitely want to check it out. It's one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. It's it's half call center movie and half kind of sci-fi thriller comedy. It's a weird movie. And oh well yeah. Sold me. <laughs> it's it's funny and confusing and bizarre. And someone gets dunked in a in a, in a tank of shit and it's one of those movies uh <laughs> i remember watching and thinking like the fuck is this but i liked it so that's good <laughs> um dina menzel plays howard's soon-to-be ex-wife dina she's known mostly as the voice of queen elsa in the frozen movies she's also appeared in enchanted rent and a lot of episodes of glee She's been voicing Elsa in all the video games and the Wreck-It Ralph 2 and cartoons, short films and all that. She is Elsa. Uh, <laughs> it's so odd that she's in this, considering she's mostly known for like Disney singing movies. But she's Howard's 
completely fed up ex-wife. Why not? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a good thing she didn't start like breaking out into song. If anybody needs to learn to let it go, it's fucking it Howard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what, I'm, that's, what, that's what I was getting at. Glad you picked up what I was putting down. Oh, yeah. Uh, this movie has the strangest cast. Like, everyone who's in this is like, why are they here? Like, uh, basketball superstar Kevin Garnett plays himself. He was with the Minnesota Timberwolves from 95 to 2007, the Boston Celtics from 2007 to 2013, the Brooklyn Nets from 2013 to 2015, and the Timberwolves again from 2015 to 2016 before his retirement in 2016. And uh, that is the most y'all will ever hear me talk about basketball. I, I, know, I don't know anything. I don't follow it. But he is good as himself. And I guess this takes place in 2012 during a real game that actually happened. Like the game that Howard wins big on actually happened. I learned that when Austin and I did the bonus episode. That game actually happened and it happened that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, so the the year that he went to the Celtics, 2008, I was actually back in California seeing family and the Lakers were in the finals with the Celtics. And I got to listen on the radio as the Lakers lost. And I was very upset and I was pissed off at Kevin Garnett and a couple of other people. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, no, like. I, I, I knew all that stuff was real because I had seen all that before. So, but it had been so long that like, I don't, I, I wouldn't have been able to predict the outcome. So that's why that moment like really hits when it does. Cause it's just like, Oh my God. Like, I can't believe he just did it. And then, you know, the end comes around and you're just like fucking hell. Yeah. But it is an interesting decision to not like make up a fake basketball game or, you know, cast just some actor as a basketball player that they got Kevin Garnett to play 2012 Kevin Garnett and use an actual basketball game. It's it's so weird, but it's also it shows their dedication to keeping this real. Yeah, yeah. And I think the only thing that wasn't actually real was I think his post-game interview that he gave when he, uh, I can't remember the line that he used, but he was basically kind of like nodding to Howard when he was, when he was saying what he was saying. Um, <clears throat> so, and I, I don't even think they were trying to even pigeonhole like a time that this was happening either. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they were trying to, to say it was 2012 or anything like that. I think they were just throwing it out there that this is what's happening right now, or I could be wrong. But At the beginning, it gives you a timestamp on the mine, and then like one year later, timestamp in New York City 2012. So it, it does tell you when, but it doesn't really matter to the narrative. Fair enough. Um, Eric Bogosian plays Arno, Howard's brother-in-law that he owes a lot of money to. Gozian is an accomplished character actor who's been in talk radio, Wonderland, Blade Trinity, Dolores Claiborne, and the TV series The Get Down, Billions, and Succession. Uh, big guy. 
and uh, feel like he should have known better than to loan Howard any money. Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody that knows this guy and still chooses to give him money, they only have themselves to blame. And I think, I think there are moments where you see, like, genuine just, like, heartbreak in that guy's face where he's just like, why are you doing this to me? Like, why, why is this happening? Like, you can't just, can't just shut up. And just give me the money, like you. You just can't do it, and it. I I think it's all the more messed up that he also gets gets a bullet, and it just the tragedy of Howard dying probably wouldn't have affected too many people because they would have just been like, yeah, well, it's fucking finally got his, and. Then on top of that, he drugs somebody else down with him. And the only person that gets away with it is the the girlfriend who's got his name tattooed on her ass. She's the one that makes out in this whole situation. It's crazy. Yeah, with Arno dead, no one's going to go looking for that money. I mean, you know, the muscle doesn't care. They're not going to know how to find that find her. She's going to just disappear. Probably go marry that weird, you know, built a weird millionaire dude with the, you know, tanning bed skin and the werewolf hair. That guy, that guy reminded me of uh, a character that Ben Stiller played. I can't remember the I can't remember the movie. It might have been a fucking. Maybe it was. I, I, Maybe it was fucking Starsky and Hutch or some shit. I don't remember. Because all, all I could hear him in my head was just, do it. Do it. Do it. I remember that, but yeah, I, just, I don't remember what that was from. Playing in my head when I saw his fucking guy. <laughs> you know, make me look this up. That, that might be Starsky and Hutch. It's a, I think that is Starsky and Hutch. It's... <laughs> do it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, well, she's, you know, she's going to be just fine. Uh, well, until the cops start sniffing around. But I don't, I mean, she hasn't, she didn't do anything illegal. She won a couple million bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely Starsky and Hutch. I just did, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. I haven't either, like, and that was, that was again like that came along at a time where like certain people they could almost do no wrong but then you're also thinking like why would they put these two guys starsky and hutch it just doesn't make any sense but is, yeah. we also did get snoop dog playing a pimp so <laughs> what are you gonna do beggars it, can't be choosers it is weird that they kept like turning serious TV shows, or at least semi-serious TV shows, into comedies. Just like you know, Twenty One Jump Street was the same way. Like it worked, but it was just an odd choice. Um, yeah. Finally, man, I yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I I was not a fan of those movies. You didn't like the Jump Street movies? No. That's all right. Finally, Keith William Richards, can't just call himself Keith Richards for obvious reasons, 
plays Phil Arno's muscle. Apart from two short films, this is the only thing he's ever done. He was just some local that they got to play the guy who kills Howard. Like he he felt familiar. He, he kind of reminded me of the. Uh, you ever watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Hmm. Remember Larry's like friend who like refused to teach him his golf swing, his golf trick. Yeah. Uh, kind of looked like that guy. Fucking. Fucking Super Dave Osborne. Hmm. Yeah, like I thought it was that guy, but it's not. I think he. I think he died. Uh, but props to this guy for like making me believe that he really wanted to kill Howard. I mean, he's been dealing with this guy's bullshit for God knows how long at this point. I seriously doubt that the beginning of the like the beginning of the movie was their first interaction. Oh no. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. We're, we're, we're definitely going in the middle of all of this, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Uncut Gems has an IMDb score of 7.4, Rock Tomato score of 91%. It was a hit, grossing $50 million on a budget of $19 million. Critics have praised its tense pacing, realistic dialogue, and above all, Adam Sandler's performance. Uh, so, highlights. We've kind of been just been going at it the whole time, talking about whatever. That's pretty much what we do now. But any specific scenes you want to bring into the gauntlet here? I did think that there was like the, like the only things that really felt kind of out of place and a little su- superfluous to use a 50 cent word <laughs> was the was like all of the camera diving through the opal and then and the end where they dive through the bullet hole. It's just like didn't feel necessary to me and that's really just a very minor complaint um i i did kind of understand like when he was talking about how you you know you could see the universe and you could see you know the beginning of time through all that stuff but it none of that ever really felt like it was important to the story it just felt like that was something that howard would say to somebody to get them drooling over something and he could jack up the price on them a little bit more it it just felt like a line yeah it did um and, and after that was intentional yeah maybe after seeing so many a24 films i wouldn't be surprised if the little universe journey was a producer thing like we got to have this be a little bit artistic or <laughs> some shit like that I don't know. It does just not, it's not. But I mean, I would, yeah. I mean, I would argue that the whole like damn near like cinema verite approach that they have with this movie is artful enough. Like you don't need to go fully abstract and like have Howard like in his own mind and have some weird, like big Lebowski fucking dream sequence or some shit like that to make it artful. I mean, there was a whole movement of Italian films that was all based on being as realistic as possible. And those movies are so like a movie like the bicycle thief is very, very hard to like latch onto what's going on because you're literally just watching something unfold in front of you. And it's, it's never played to be grandiose or anything like that, but that's part of what they were trying to do. So that probably is something that 
a producer would say i could i could totally could totally see that but any filmmaker worth their worth their weight could just counter right back and be like well actually we're uh, we're trying to go for a uh, cinema verite approach with the way we're presenting the film blah 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 and they could just fucking have their creative differences as much as I, that way as much as i would want to punch anybody who came to me and told me that they were going to take a cinema verite approach to anything i it didn't bother me with uncut gems like i just kind of went with it you know howard's such a compelling son of a bitch you can't help but get dragged into his bullshit it's funny you want to see like what is what is he going to screw up next and it just gets worse for him uh but, you know, I, I often need, you know, a narrative to latch on to. I mean, I've, I've had to deal with, you know, a lot of movies on this podcast, not having, you know, enough of a story to drag me in, which always blows, but it's a me problem. I know that. But Uncut Gems didn't, didn't mind. And I like when a movie is so good, it makes me forget that there's not really a story. <laughs> well, I think... I think this movie actually plays to one of your other strengths, which is characters. And I yes. think as long as there are very compelling characters and the, the narrative is presented more as like in the, a, a day in the life of, then yeah. I think that that's easier to take than it is when something gets a little more abstract and then tries to mess around with the, the techniques of filmmaking to, to get you to have some kind of reaction. Um, and I think this, I think this movie was doing a lot of, a lot of that whole like day in the life of just following Howard around while he's just making one shitty decision after another. And that's, that's, that's basically, that's basically what happens. I mean, they, they give you this, this through line, which is the opal and how that essentially is like the incident that kind of is what is the constant thread through the entire movie is, is, is that, is that rock, even though by the end of it, it just kind of just goes away. And it was almost, almost MacGuffin like in that, in that sense, because then the end of the movie becomes about hitting that huge ass bet. Well, I mean, if you think about it, The Rock got him killed. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, he got The Rock. Kevin Garnett became obsessed with The Rock. He couldn't sell The Rock. He sold The Rock to Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett was inspired by this rock to play his best game. Howard bet on that game based on Kevin's relationship with this rock. And Bob's your uncle. It's, it is a MacGuffin, straight up. <laughs> but, I mean, that's fine. It makes sense to me. It's it's Howard's, you know, biting off more than he can chew, like he always does. And I mean, there was no other outcome. I mean, you're, it's a surprise, but and you know, after you get to think about it, you're like, oh, look, sorry. After you get to think about it a bit, that's it. There was no other way Howard was leaving this movie. If somebody was going to kill him, it was all just a matter of who's it going to be. I thought it was going to be the money. I thought he was going to be the guy who is like fed up with his shit and just like shoots him on a whim. But yeah, I could I, I could kind of see that, but I also think that he 
he literally did what the other guy did without shooting him, which was just start taking a bunch of shit out of his safe and just start fucking robbing him anyway just to get what he could get. And I also think that he needs Howard in some way because, I mean, Howard's paying him to bring people to him so they can keep their racket going. Um, so I think in a way, like, they kind of fed off of each other. But then and again, and he's got how many pissed off people in New York coming after him? You know? Who knows? It could have been that fucking, that weird fucking that weird fucking like god what is that steven wright is that that fucking deadpan ass dude who uh who makes all those terrible ass jokes like yeah it's like his little brother could have come back for him and fucking try to t- take him out you know like oh god i love steven wright <laughs> that dude like you said it wasn't it wasn't a matter of when it was just a matter of who was going to do it yeah you that's why like, it really just comes down to don't gamble with someone else's money. It's the most, it's the easiest lesson to learn, but oh, God damn. Um, let's talk a bit about the nightclub scene with the weekend. <laughs> I, again, just, you know, the, the Safety brothers commitment to making this feel real, bringing the actual, you know, the weekend into this. And uh, Julia, Julia was so going to fuck him. That was, that was going to happen. It might have happened already. We just didn't see it. But yeah, I love that Howard straight up punches the weekend, like drags him out of the room. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck how famous this guy is. Just starts punching him. His, his like giant security team drags him out of the club. Julie's crying. It's, it was weird. Like I felt a little bit, you know, hurt on Howard's behalf. Like, you know, how, why would you do this to him? But also, well, yeah. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. Well, I mean, yeah, Howard's a hypocrite. I mean, the girl he, you know, he cheated on his wife with now cheated on him and he's going to throw a fit over it. I don't know. But hot meat kettle. <laughs> yeah it's just an interesting scene um i love when they just chuck him in the fucking fountain they just had enough <laughs> they just like straight up throw him into the fountain <laughs> oh boy and his like all the shit he has to deal with with the auction house like because kevin garnett straight up just took his rock and he can't he has to kiss kevin garnett's ass he can't just go get his rock back such a weird movie. Everything, everything. It's just, it's also like, also cringe-inducing, and it's just like when he first has that exchange with the lady running the auction, and we all know it's like he doesn't even have the thing. Like he's he's fucking he's screwing you because he's getting screwed, and oh by the way, he's screwing somebody that doesn't know they're they've been screwed. And it's just it's just this this never ending circle of just fuckery the entire time. But is that Howard or is that just New York City? I mean, this is the way the world works up there. 
Somebody is oh. fucking somebody else at all times. Yeah, to to go back to your or, uh, to go back to your word of advice, somebody's sticking their dick and crazy up there at all times. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Either their metaphorical or their financial dick is getting stuck in some crazy. Yep. Oh. I could go all day with this movie. There's so much to unpack with this one. There's so many little moments to just like, like, are you kidding me? You know, like Howard taking his, you know, his son up to his girlfriend's apartment, take a shit and he won't let him in there. So he asks fucking his neighbor, John Amos, if he could go in there. John Amos is like, no, like, why is John Amos here? Why is Cleo McDowell in this movie? It's New York. Oh, fuck New York, of course. Of course he fucking has an apartment in the building with fucking John Amos. Of course. Fucking course. But it's like, but he knows that if, he knows that if he takes him in there and she's there, then it's just going to be even more stressful and he's going to have to tell another lie. And even then, his his kid still, his kid even got the information fed to him (laughs) by the fucking other guy who let him in the bathroom. You know, it's like other people know that his dad's a piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah, you know your dad's got a girlfriend in there. (laughs) God, he's just he's he's fucking poison. Howard. Um here are some film guys and facts for uncut gems. Uh number one, we talked a little bit about this already. The film is inspired by the Safdie brothers' father's time working as a salesman slash runner for a man also named Howard in the Manhattan Diamond District. The Safdie brothers and their father are also Jewish and avid basketball fans. So they've probably been working on this for a long time. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, number two, Daniel Day-Lewis praised Adam Sandler's performance in this film. And that's got to be amazing. Well, yeah. I mean, Abraham Lincoln says you've done good. You've done good. (laughs) Well, they all run in similar circles, which is weird. But like, you know, Adam Sandler and Daniel Day-Lewis both uh, both have worked with Paul Thomas Anderson and they all hang out. Like Adam Sandler was on a podcast and he was talking about how like Dan called him up and said like, wow, I really loved your movie. And Dan is fucking Daniel (laughs) Day-Lewis. It's just that's insane to me. Like maybe the greatest living actor calls Adam Sandler and says, you were great in that. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that phone call. Oh. But for me, like I, if, if he was somebody I knew, I would probably not be able to call him by anything less than his full name. Like, Oh, what's up, Daniel day Lewis. How you doing, man? Hey, Day Lewis, you want to go? Uh, you want to go eat some sushi later? Maybe uh, take some sake bombs or something, man. You tell me how much Leonardo DiCaprio sucks. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, I can't go. I've got plans with my friend, three-time Oscar winner Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> you yeah. want to meet him? Hi, three-time Look, Oscar winner Daniel right Day here. Lewis. Right this is my friend Tom. Hey, Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm sitting here at the bar and this girl doesn't believe that we're friends. Can you tell her that we're friends? Hi, I'm Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes, me and Josh are friends. 
Thanks, dude. Would, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I would love if I could somehow trap him in like the Daniel, I mean, the Daniel Plainview mindset or something. And he's just talking like that the whole time, like super intense and aggressive about oil. <laughs> just completely like a total cock block. <laughs> Everyone's afraid of him. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that would be a fun podcast topic. Which Daniel Day-Lewis would you want to hang out with and why? <laughs> so many choices. I know. Like, I'm not hanging out with Bill the Butcher. I'm going to die. <laughs> but, you know. No, man. He's the kind of guy you're glad is on your side. He is on his side. He's always been on his side. I am inconsequential. <laughs> Stand behind him. <laughs> Oh, I feel like I wouldn't want to hang out with Lincoln. I feel like he'd get boring. Oh, he's such a downer. <laughs> I'd want to hang out with real Lincoln. He was a he was a badass motherfucker. But movie Lincoln kind of just, you know, just talking the whole time. But real Lincoln was like ripping trees out of the ground with his bare hands and shit. <laughs> <laughs> How do you follow that? <laughs> I mean, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Um, number three, uh, Tilda Swinton is the voice of the auctioneer that Howard argues with on the phone. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. And I love, she's just like, like the secretary's like, I got to put you on with him. She's like, no, 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 no. That's not necessary. <laughs> and ends up on the phone with him and just like, oh, hi, Howard. <laughs> but it's great. Cause she doesn't, she, she doesn't back down. It's so good. Like. He's used to people just rolling with whatever bullshit he throws at him. She's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> this is this is the price. You're lucky. I'm even putting this thing in here. Take it or leave it. Uh, the, the saga of the opal. And he, yeah, crazy. Um, number four, the basketball series shown in the film was the 2012 NBA Eastern Conference semifinals between the Celtics and Philadelphia 76ers. Boston won that series and moved on to the next round. There they lost to the eventual champions, the Miami Heat. Well, basketball for y'all. I don't, I don't know sports. I never cared about sports. It's never been my thing. So I don't, I don't get, I, I, don't, I guess on some level I get, you know, the investment. But I just don't have any connection to any of this. Sorry. Right. I always feel like I have to apologize for it. Don't apologize to me. You, you can apologize to all the people that listen to the show. Go for it. Never makes you feel good. I, I think I think there have been like some really good sports movies. Um, yeah. And it's it's really good because those are very like easy, I guess, to like characterize. You know, because like it's always you know it's like an underdog thing or um, <clears throat> just one of the one of the more outrageous things that i didn't even realize like <clears throat> at the time i think it probably i think it was like a remake or something when angels in the outfield came out came out i think mm -hmm. that was like a remake of something that existed before yeah um yeah but like stuff like that it's it's very interesting to see like you know a, a sports movie and in different ways it can be presented like i still haven't seen moneyball i've heard it's really good Ooh. um that's a great movie. Bad I, News Bears with Walter Matthau will always be one of my favorites. 
I've never seen that. I have seen the Billy Bob Thornton one, and I thought that was pretty good, but I haven't seen the Walter Matthau oh, one. Oh, man. Walter Matthau fucking kills it. Like, like you think Billy Bob's a fucking gruff asshole, like, <laughs> trying to coach a bunch of badass kids. Nah, man, Walter Matthau is just straight chugging beers and talking shit the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Hell, yeah. I love a good sports movie. It's just real sports I can't really get behind. Like, I, I, I took my dad to a Spurs game when he was in town, and that was, that was kind of fun. But, yeah, uh, just, like, I can get behind basketball. I, I loathe football. But the rest of them I can kind of get behind. Uh, the rest of them. I, I feel like sports fans aren't listening to this podcast. I mean, I could be wrong. But on the whole, I don't think they are. Except for, like, you and Austin. But you're in the podcast. That doesn't count. <laughs> uh, I give Uncut Gems an eight. It's a solid thriller. Endlessly rewatchable. Great vehicle for Adam Sandler. Yeah, I, I'll definitely uh, give it an eight as well. I don't know when I'm going to watch this again because I'm still recovering. Um, I did really enjoy it, though. It's um, it's something that you you wouldn't expect Adam Sandler to be capable of, especially yeah. when a lot of his other emotional moments that he has in movies are just kind of showing another side of the goofy ass characters that he's playing, and it's it's all it's all for the sake of balance. Like there is really no balance in his his performance. He is totally unlikable from the beginning all the way up until the end. However, you still have some sympathy for this guy because you are rooting for him by the end. You're like, I mean, I, I mean, we're all in at this point, Howard. <laughs> Fucking just do the thing that you're supposed to do in a movie and win. And, and even that doesn't end the way you think it should. Fuck me. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this is uh, this is my second time watching. I saw it at the movies and it's been two years. So that's about enough time to, to recoup on Uncut Gems. And then I saw it for the podcast. I don't know when I'd watch it again. Maybe introducing somebody like, oh, you never saw Uncut Gems? It's a pretty cool movie. Come on over. So maybe in that situation. But this isn't something I'm going to throw on in an afternoon. Just be like, I'm going to watch Adam Sandler fuck over New York. Yeah, 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 Definitely. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, next week, the cycle continues, and we're tackling Josh's pick, one of the most iconic English horror films of all time, and one I've wanted to do on this podcast for years now. So glad you decided to pick this movie. When a religious police officer arrives on the carefree island of Summer Isle in search of a missing girl, he finds a sinister pagan cult who worship a deity that provides them with a bountiful harvest. And whoa, does shit get real. Don't miss next week when we tackle the 1973 classic the Wicker Man. So excited. Yes, I am very, very excited for this. I think when I first started making a list of movies I wanted to talk about on the podcast, this was like right up towards the top. And it's also going to give me a chance to really talk about something else I really enjoy, which is folk horror. So I'm really, I'm really going to, I'm really looking forward to this. Fuck yeah. Yeah. This was on my list too. When I started the podcast, 
this was in my top 10 of films I wanted to do and I just never got around to it. Oh. Um, also, don't miss the 2011 animated Western Rango on Oscar Sunday and who knows what on Monday's sneak preview. Still working on that. Going to be a surprise. We really don't want to see Dear Evan Hansen. So we're doing something else. Uh, until then, don't gamble with other people's money. Keep watching movies. Thank <laughs> you.